Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am really excited again to bring you today's guest, which is Lindsay Lauks, who's a friend of mine and a very, very talented author. She writes some really cool stuff, and the, the book that really drew me in of hers is called Sale, and that is a trilogy that she's working on. I'm hoping it won't end at a trilogy, but only time will tell, of course. And I'm really excited to be talking to her today. So without further ado, let's bring you Lindsay Lauks. So let's welcome to the podcast, Lindsay Lauks. Lindsay, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. We've known each other for quite a while, and like most of the people uh, in my life, we've never actually met, but we've built a great online rapport, and we've even worked together a couple of times. Yep, that's right. Very true. It's been fun. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Um, Well, let's see. I'm Lindsay Lauks, and... I edit part-time, and I write part-time, and I do other stuff part-time, and let's see, a little bit about my books. I write mostly paranormal, but also some urban fantasy and contemporary and science fiction. I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier today uh, with the music business, and I see the same thing really has kind of happened into the book business where there's so many categories now and then subcategories of that and then subcategories of that where you you could be an urban female science fiction paranormal writer, and that is like a specific category, but also that falls into categories. Do you think that we're compartmentalizing too much now? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I don't, like, in terms of of readers, I don't think they really care so much about, you know, I need uh, a tough female character in an urban setting, but it has to be this kind of population, and there has to be, you know, all this, this, and this. I don't think they really care. They just want a good story. And so I think as long as writers focus on that, just, Telling a good story—that's the most important thing. I, I agree. I I can kind of understand it from a sales aspect of trying to reach a target audience, mm-hmm. but I also think that we've taken that a bit too far. And when it comes to music, and I'll see these, you know, these ads for, uh, you know, we're looking for this, and it's so. It's gotten to the point where I look at it and I go, I don't even know what that is anymore or what that's supposed to sound like because it just, it's so specific that I don't know if it's too specific of a term. And I see that the same thing has started to happen in books. And I look at it and I go, okay, well, you're a paranormal writer, which is, is good. That's a good general topic. So I would think if I'm looking for a book in the paranormal genre, that's really all I should need to know where to go. Yeah. Mm hmm. Then there's people who specifically want strong female lead characters, mm-hmm. which you write very well. And then there's there's people that just don't care and they can just kind of pick from the main genre. So it's it's that fine line between marketing to too broad a group or too specific a group. Mm-hmm. When you work on the promotion of your book, how do you like to define it to reach the people that would like your stuff? Um, well... 
my my author tagline is untangle your heart. Huh. And so it, I usually write romance. I mean, there's, you know, romance in pretty much everything I write. So I think, well, I hope when readers see my name, they'll think, oh, romance. I need to go, I need to go read that. And, you know, several of my readers say, they don't care so much if I if I go one way towards contemporary and then the next book go towards paranormal. They they don't really care. They just want that good story that grabs them. And and by doing that, then you build the audience to come back because you've delivered that, and they kind of learn to depend on you, right, for that, so that your next book comes out and they're like, oh well, Lindsay's released a book. I know it's going to be good. I've got to read it. Exactly. Well, that's the hope. Anyway. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's kind of the trick of the whole business now because it's become so easy to do the the actual physical release of a book and get it out there to people that now we're flooded with so much content. It's hard yes. as an artist to dig, you know, to to shine through that and say, "Hey, um, I offer something special. Check me out." Right. You know? Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, so you uh, have done some collaborations before. You've collaborated with Natasha Larry, who's a, a mutual friend. How do you uh, how do you guys work on a collaboration together? Because I've never collaborated as an author. Um, I've worked with several different authors um, collaborating before, and it's kind of different for each author I've worked with. And I don't really have a preference as long as we're all happy and smiley about it. Um, but like, for example, with Natasha, um, she wrote the first draft and I think she sent it to me in chapters or in chunks, I guess I should say. And so I would read through it and then I just kind of thought about it for a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I went back through and I made some changes. To it. And then I sent it back to her, and then if she liked the changes, then we went that direction, and if not, then we rewrote. Mm-hmm. And and that really worked well for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we're both very pleased with how the book came out, so... Do you have discussions before the writing starts? Do you come out with an outline together, or does one person really take the lead and the other kind of fills in the gaps? With that book, we I, I don't think we had an outline. I think we agreed that it was going to be a young adult novel, paranormal romance, and the main character was going to be a princess in hell. Ooh. <laughs> and... And that's pretty much all we knew. And so Natasha just went for it. And and what she created was just amazing. And then and then I sprinkled some fairy dust on it too. And then it just it was so much fun to create that story. And we need to get going on the second book <laughs> eventually. So this is a series. It is. Oh yes. good. Good. Yeah. I think that's a that's a big commitment. I think you really have to be comfortable with somebody to commit to one book, kind of a, even as an experiment, 
but to commit to mm-hmm. a series up front and say, well, let's just do, you know, two or three books together. Uh, that, that really takes a certain element of trust and belief that you can work calmly. And like you said, you know, smiley and happily together. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, and Natasha and I have been friends for, I don't even know, oh, several years and <clears throat> we're both big fans of each other. So, and we're very easy to get along with. So I think that is a huge part of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think at least agreeing to certain things up front, like it's going to be a young adult, it's going to be a paranormal romance. You have to at least have a direction together. Oh, definitely. And I think when we first started talking about what we were going to write about, um, I brought up the idea, um, what if we did a time travel book? And she, she said, eh, what's not this time just because there's so many plot holes or there can be. Yeah. And she's right. I mean, that's, time travel's hard. <laughs> it, it really is. And there's very rarely anything I've ever seen done where I can say, okay, I really think they nailed that. I, I really don't yeah. think they left any loose ends. There's always something. <laughs> You know, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But, but kudos for wanting to take that on. And I hope you do at some point because I'd love to see what you do with that. Well, gosh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'll have to add it to my huge list of books to write. <laughs> yeah. Do you do what I do where like you have a list of projects and you add to the list faster than you can get them done? Oh, definitely. There's, I write so slowly, it seems like. Even though I try to write every single day, I just, it takes forever. And then I'm such a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So that does not help. (laughs) Well, yeah, that does make it tough. Do you edit as you go and then edit eight or nine more times afterwards? Or do you just kind of let it all out and then come back and look at it later? I try to just get it all out. Um... And just give my, myself permission to be messy and not really know where I'm going. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then once I have hit the sort of end, then I'll go back and start editing. And I, I'm never happy um, unless I've edited the whole thing at least three times myself and then then it will go to an editor right i'm so picky (laughs) (laughs) well but you you want to make the editor as useful as possible and if you send them a mess their work is so much more difficult and it's easy to lose important things in the story because you're so busy trying to clean it up instead of being given a clean clean ish version and saying this is pretty much what i want the story to be now you tell me what i've missed I'm so glad you said that. Yes. <laughs> I wish more authors would do that, actually, because, like I said, I also work as an editor, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's, I just feel like this maybe could have been <laughs> polished a little bit more. But I've done some editing work, but I tend to be more on the uh, continuity side. Oh, yeah. If uh, she said on page 10 that she's allergic to shellfish, why on page 170 is he taking her out to Red Lobster for her birthday? You know, those are the the kind of things that I tend to see 
Uh, I don't know that I make a great editor, but I definitely have that that skill of being able to find those little things that don't quite add up. Yes. Uh, so you may not want to hire me for your time travel story. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, maybe I do. Maybe you do. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's talk about my favorite book of yours. And, and you know, I, I do love your writing style. I think that your characters are... Uh, it's it's very easy to embrace them and to want to see them succeed, even though I really am just sick to death of happy endings. Uh, mm-hmm. Only not in the way that they're not good, but I I want variety. I mean, there's no point in the journey if you already know every story is going to end up happy. Yeah, you know? uh, which agree. is one thing I like about independent writers. But mm-hmm. your your series that starts with Sale and your character mm-hmm. of Absidy within ten seconds, I'm like, I want to be this girl's friend. Like, I want to hang out with her in real life. Yeah, <laughs> me too. She's so compelling. <laughs> is, is there a, a strategy that you have or a method that you use to develop your characters? Or do you just, you kind of picture them and describe them? How does that work for you? Um, with Absidy, it was, it was a little strange. Um, she, she came into my head almost fully formed with the chains and the leather corset and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I, I guess I sat down with her one day <laughs> and, you know, had her tell me her story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, not every character that I write comes out fully formed right from the get go, mm-hmm. but she was, she was just crystal clear in my head. Yeah, it's it, the weirdest thing. It definitely came out to me, uh, and and I'm looking at it from the writer's standpoint. It definitely came out to me as if you were very familiar with her, like she wasn't oh, somebody yeah. you were creating as you went along. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. not at all. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, I, I think what is it on page one or two where you mentioned that she eats metal. Uh, yeah, I, I just was like, okay, this this girl's pretty cool. Wow. Okay, I did not see yeah. that. I wouldn't have ever thought of that. I don't know where you got that from, but it's brilliant. It was just so <laughs> unexpected, and and you know, I knew right at that point that this was going to be an interesting journey reading that book, mm-hmm. and I absolutely yeah. loved it. If I could have read the whole thing just straight through, I would have done it because I was just completely engrossed in the story, and it's very rare that I get that way without distraction. Mm-hmm. So that's that's wow. a lot for me to say uh, for your writing abilities because I was just completely encapsulated in that story, uh, and then when the second book came out, I was ex- it just went right back into it. There was almost no loss of time whatsoever. Wow! Thank you. <laughs> yes, and I'm definitely looking for now. Is it just going to be a trilogy, or are you? Is this maybe a longer series? Um, it's a trilogy, I think. I, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess you'll see when you write the third one because that, you know, I, do you do the thing that I do where you have a basic outline and then you start just going off in a completely different direction and then have to completely redo your outline and then you go off in another direction again and then you just stop outlining and just write? <laughs> um, well, like with the sale series, at least so far, I haven't outlined at all. Really? I just go. Hmm. Yeah. 
And so, and I think, at least with that series, that's that that was kind of useful because, like the reader, I had no clue what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was actually pretty pretty useful, but at the same time, not because. I'm writing the third book right now, and because I did not outline, I messed up the beginning, so I had to go back and rewrite it, even though I usually do not do that. It was such a huge chunk of the story that, yes, I went back (laughs) and edited, so that's what I'm doing now, but... Mm Well, that's okay, though. At least, at least you caught it before you said it to the editor, or you know, in in one of your edits, and you can fix it now. Because obviously, if you don't have the beginning right, then that can change anything that you do throughout that story. So you may have saved that's yourself right. a huge rewrite. Yes, actually, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, we'll see, but right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of of the 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 writing versus editing side of it, um, I find. As an author, because my first novel is in editing now, it's it's going to be a trilogy, but I wrote it as one long novel, and we're breaking it up into three books. And oh wow! I uh, well, it was a movie at first. It was a short film, then a feature film, then a different feature film, and then I rewrote it as a completely different story with the same point. Uh, and then I went back to the. It's it's been like six years, and I think I'm on version fourteen now. Is the novel. Um, oh, wow. But at what point do you decide that you're done with the writing aspect? I mean, is it when you type the end or is it somewhere in the in, in between that and the first edit where you're still doing rewrites? Like, where do you decide, okay, it's time to move on to the next step. I'm happy with this. Um, it kind of varies for each book. Um, like, for example... Um, I'm trying to think of another book <laughs> that I wrote. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm so stuck on sale. Uh, no, no, that's all right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to sale. Um, with that one, it, it wasn't very difficult as far as saying, okay, that's it. I'm done. Um, because part, well, yeah, part of it was written during National Novel Writing Month. Mm. And so I had that pressure on me to finish it at the end of November, which was a good thing for me. And even though I didn't really know where the story was headed, it came out very smoothly and... I didn't have to do a whole lot of editing of that chunk that I wrote in November. Mm-hmm. And so it, was, it wasn't too long after that that I sent it to my editor. I think I maybe sent it to her in January. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. So, and yeah, it didn't, it didn't need too much cleanup. But most of my books do. <laughs> <laughs> do. Do you think it was just because you had locked into that zone and you were just writing from pure inspiration and not trying to follow an outline or trying to turn it into something? It was just sort of coming out? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it, it was so strange because 
like again, I had no idea what was going to happen next, but I could just kind of see the very next um, scene in my head, I guess, and so mm-hmm. I would start writing towards that. Right. And then <clears throat> Papsity would show me what happens next, and I mean, basically, she was the one telling me the story mm-hmm. as it happened. So that was it was pretty amazing. I think that's such a, an amazing moment that I, I wish we could find a way to create the circumstances where we're just guided to be almost the, the vessel that puts it on paper. Yeah, that that's sometimes what I feel like. I like I have no control. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just here with my fingers moving. <laughs> on the keyboard. That happened to me one time. Um, I was writing my second screenplay Mm -hmm. and I had just a basic idea of what I wanted the story to be about. And I booked, uh, this is when I was still living in Phoenix and I had booked three nights in Vegas and I brought my laptop with me and I get into the hotel room. uh, You know, I turned on the TV for a little bit and, you know, get settled. And then I started writing and I literally finished from start to finish that entire screenplay in those three days, but it was that same sort of thing. It was the, the, it just kept unfolding. And as I was writing it, it was like, I could see another five feet ahead all the time. Right. It was the, the most amazing feeling. But what was really interesting was when I turned on the television, when I first got in the room, they were playing uh, throw mama from the train, which I don't think I've seen that movie in probably 30 years. And, there, yeah. and it was right at the beginning where Billy Crystal's sitting at the typewriter and he's going, the night was moist. No, the night was hot. And I'm like, but I'm just getting ready to start my screenplay. <laughs> I, I oh, mean, you, you couldn't have put together better circumstances if you tried, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that it was it was a good thing that you had the pressure of doing this during the, the writing month. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you tend to work better under pressure or is it just something that is an additional motivator? That's a great question. I think it depends on what else is happening in my life at that moment. Mm. And then it also kind of depends on my mood too. Like that that month I must have just been just happy as can be because I felt no pressure whatsoever. You know, but then like, for example, the first couple of months after I went uh, part-time into writing, well, I guess full-time, that that pressure just kind of weighed on my shoulders a little too heavily, and I kind of froze. Mm-hmm. But I think it was the pressure that I was putting on myself, mm. I guess. So, yeah, wow, this is, we're getting into some deep stuff now. <laughs> We are. Well, this is a, a therapeutic podcast, apparently. Okay, good. <laughs> now, while uh, while we're on the topic of sale, this is the first book that you're turning into an audio book. Yeah. Uh, what has that experience been like? Uh, so far, it's been fantastic. Um, my narrator that I found, she was the very first one to audition, and she just nailed it. Yeah. And I thought... Is this normal? <laughs> is this the way it's supposed to be? <laughs> it can be, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And 
And I, I want to say that she had worked as a voice actress before and, and that she has theater training because every single character's voice is unique and she just did fantastic. And um, it's not quite ready to be available, but it will be very soon. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah, me too. I, I'm definitely interested to hear, uh, especially obviously, Absidy's voice. Yeah, and uh, and and see how close. Because do, when when you write or or even just when you read, do you hear the story in voices, or do, is it really just visual for you? Uh, it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it kind of plays out like a movie, you know, in my head, and yeah, um, with voice actors and music. <laughs> right. I think that's kind of been why for a long time I avoided audiobooks. Now I absolutely love them because it's the only time I actually get to read. But yeah. I it was like there's certain movies that I will not watch because as a child I might have read that book like James and the Giant Peach or Stuart Little. I don't want to see those movies because I have very specific uh characters in my head and movies that that I played when I read them. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing that they can do that's going to top that. And it, I think it's going to kind of soil the memory that I have. So I'm very selective That's about true. that. Um, but yeah. it's kind of the same thing with an audiobook because when you when you read the book, if you've read it as a as a physical book or a Kindle, you've already done that work. That's right. You know. Um, yeah. Now, do you like to listen to audiobooks? I can't. I I just don't have that brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has that been a challenge for you then, working on your first one? Not really, because. Like, for example, when I'll be proofing what the narrator has already recorded, I'm, I'm still reading it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to right. on, my, on my computer, and that's fine. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but as far as just listening to them for enjoyment, I cannot do it. Now that you're almost done with your first one, is there anything that you learned throughout this process that you think will be, make the next one easier? I I can't really think of anything. My my narrator made the process extremely smooth for me because she's such a professional, mm-hmm. and I I can't really foresee anything I would do differently. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> I kind of want to knock on wood though, just in case. Right. Well, I'm just glad that you've had such a good experience because it is a great uh, avenue to reach listeners like me who don't have the time to just sit there and read a book as much as we'd love to. You know. Yeah. In fact, I right. think I could be wrong, but I think the last one that I read was was your last one, the follow up to Sale. Yeah. Oh, really? I think that was the last one oh. I read. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that one, I'll just wow. I'll stop the world to, to read the third one. I don't care what's happening. <laughs> okay. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, it, it's like when when one you know I don't watch a lot of television either, but when I do, I'm usually like I can do marketing and, and I can multitask while I'm watching TV. But you can't do that with a book. No. You know, so I can no. I can binge watch you know Supergirl or Wentworth or whatever it is that comes on that I might want to see uh, while I'm marketing and, and doing other things. But yeah, a book definitely takes attention it does yeah yeah uh how do you how you know since since you're doing uh you know you're a writer and you're an editor do you find it challenging balancing work and life 
or do you just have like, this is the time I work and then I'm done working unless I'm in a really good zone and then I'll give myself X amount of time to continue and then it's family time? Um, it kind of depends on what day it is. Um, my, my husband works six days out of the week and he works night. So I do my work while he's sleeping during the day, which actually works out pretty well for us. Mm-hmm. But when Sunday rolls around, that's that's his only day off. And so I have to get all of my work in before he goes or before he wakes up. And if I don't, oh, my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> like the world just blows up. <laughs> uh. um, I mean, because, you know, we're we're a kind of couple that actually uh, actually likes each other and we like to hang out with each other. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, but if I don't have all of my work done before he wakes up on Sunday, he just loses it. I mean, it's all, he, you know, he's not like angry about it, but he's just he, like, he'll like, for example, he'll start making a ton of noise. Oh, so that I can't focus anymore, and then <laughs> he'll like start banging, banging pots and pans. <laughs> I mean, he's having fun while doing it. He's trying to. I mean, he's it's in good spirit, I guess. I would hope, as opposed to when your cat does that, where it's just um, no pay attention to me. Well, well, yes, <laughs> right. And that's actually all day, right. every day. Yeah, that doesn't stop at all. No. Yeah. Well, that's so. So on Sunday, then he obviously would then stay. He he gets up at around the same time, and he would keep his schedule that he does the other six days. Otherwise, he's just messed up all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I had to do that when I worked graveyards. It was it was really difficult because it was five nights a week, and uh, you know I was young. Yeah. I was still living with my parents at the time, so you know I come home and I'm like all you know wired and whatever from work, and then. They're asleep, and I have to be really quiet, and everything's under headphones, oh, yeah. and be really, you know. Uh, so yeah, that was that was definitely tough. And then of course I just go to bed, and they're getting up and getting ready for work, and you know, it, it it's easier right. to do that when you live alone, or like you have somebody who can keep the sort of that same pace. Right. Yeah. We 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 make it work pretty well, and we always joke that he's a vampire anyway. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, naturally, he would have to go to work at night. Right. So, yeah, it just kind of works out. I always wondered how vampires get their hair so slick and perfect all the time when they can't see themselves in a mirror. You know, I have been wondering that, too, actually, because I'm working on a on a, on a couple vampire stories now, and I thought, okay, what's the secret? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, you know, how do you how do you do that? How do you make sure that you're presentable, or do you even care because you're just going to go bite somebody? Uh, there's <laughs> there's a really interesting video on YouTube. It, it, it's uh, you know, and I don't put a lot of stock in the videos that I see because I've been in the film business, so I know how easy it is to create a lot of these things. So I kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But there's a video of the of a bunch of people in the store. 
and you know there's this girl that's sitting there and I don't I can't remember if it's a shoe store or what it is but there's a girl sitting there on a bench and you can see her in the mirror and a guy walks by and you can see him in the mirror and then another guy walks by and there's nothing in the mirror at all but wow. the the other people are still in motion in the mirror so it, it you know it gives you the appearance of he really was not in the mirror at all because otherwise he would have blocked out what was you know going on behind him Oh yeah, and it's really kind of wow. freaky. And even though I'm sure you know, you know, ILM or or one of those companies could very easily in ten seconds create that. You know, oh sure, uh, it's it's yeah. still a little off putting to see to actually see it. Well, that reminds me of another video on YouTube, and of course it's a cat video because that's the internet, right? But um, <laughs> it's kind of similar to that in that. It's this cat looking in a mirror, and uh, its reflection is staring back, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the cat is kind of just fascinated by his uh, reflection. And then at the very end of the video, the reflection does something different, and it's, and then it just ends, and it's fantastic. Oh, I love, I love those. It. Yeah, I've seen a couple of uh, like young Oriental girls brushing their hair in the mirror, and they turn, and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, like one of the faces in the mirror, whether it be the mirror they're looking into or the side mirror, doesn't change. It mm-hmm. just kind of freezes on something or does something different. And uh, you know, even though I I still go with, I'm sure that's not real. Yeah, that still kind of sticks with you a little bit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I, I kind of think there's probably a really good story in that concept somewhere. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yes, definitely. So there's another project yeah. you can put on your board. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> well, Lindsay, before, uh, before we wrap things up, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the, uh, the, the main project that you and I have worked on together, yes. which is on the, uh, the second Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas album that, uh, that came out on October 10th. And that is, uh, you did the story for Oh Hellish Night, which is a take on Oh Holy Night. Yeah. And uh, what was it that, because I, I remember I was just starting the writing sessions for that when I had approached you and um, I gave you a list of songs to, to choose from. What was it that made you pick that one? Um, a couple of things. It's, that one has always been my favorite song. And when I was a kid, I think I sang that as a solo in front of my church. Wow. And so, of course, I had to memorize it and mm-hmm. get sort of good at it. <laughs> and it, it just kind of stuck in my head. And I just, I love it. And I love the kind of haunting tune to it that's already weaved into it, mm-hmm. into the original version. So it just kind of, that one was it. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does have, you know, especially if you hear uh, like uh, the, the lead vocalist backed by a choir. It really is a oh. powerful song, but it really can be haunting. Very much so. If, you know, depending on how it's done. Um, when I did my um, Mental Sauna Christmas album three years ago, I really wanted to do Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy because for me, that's always been the the start of Christmas. When I go to Hallmark to, to get my Christmas cards to send out for the year, they would always play that mm-hmm. song. And I'm like, okay, now it's now it's Christmas because I've heard that song. Um, right. But when I went to do the mental sauna version of it, I realized how dark and creepy that song really is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I didn't end up releasing that song because it just, it was too dark and haunting and I couldn't find a way to warm it up that, that I was happy with. Um, right. So I ended up putting it on the first uh, Chris, the Haunted Holidays album because I'm like, well, it fits way better here. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I changed it to the uh, the sugared plum fairy uh-huh. who was uh, very annoying to the people in the town, so they just kind of behead her. And um, <laughs> she may make another appearance yet, though her her story may not be finished, so we shall see. But yeah, I, it, yeah. it really does. And kudos to you for taking on that song, uh, even as a child, because that is not an easy song to sing. No, no, and I can't remember how old I was. I. Maybe I was 12 or so, but yeah, I mean, you know, of course I didn't think about the difficulty. I just thought, well, that's the song because I love it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I absolutely love the story that you came up with. Uh, Oh, thanks. Was that that based on anything past or was that just a brand new fresh idea? Um, It was kind of based on this image that I saw. I don't even know where I saw it. It may have been on Twitter or someplace, but I think it was in Australia maybe, but it was this giant crab thing. Mm-hmm. The one and that was on the side was, of the garbage can? Yeah. That's what I you pictured when I listened when I read your when you sent me the, the, the dialogue, that's exactly what yeah. I pictured was that that uh that crab. Yes. That wow. was it. And that sparked the whole idea. Because I could not get that out of my head. That picture, that was just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, much like the giant spider on the side of the house that, that I know. That that one was actually Photoshopped. But the crab, from what I've read, is actually real. Yeah, the, the, I think it is. And, well, for one, um, I, I had another guest on who, who was born in Australia. And her mother completely ruined Australia for me. Because the day I met her, she showed me this video about how everything in Australia wants to eat you. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not big on travel anyway, so I don't really need to take that 15 hour flight or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, right. but, uh, but yeah, there's some scary things down there, but yeah, that, that crab is pretty serious. And I, I hope uh, for all the trouble, delicious. Oh, uh, yeah. You think? <laughs> I, I don't, well, maybe not so much hanging on the side of a garbage can, but you know, it right. a little more fresh. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No, I could I could totally see where that story developed the way it did, and it's really interesting that I had that same vision in my head that you did when you when you came up with it. Yeah, that's so funny. It was such a great experience working with you too, because you you pretty much nailed it right off the bat. I think there was one or two things that we changed, but it was just minimal. Wow, great. Yeah, yeah, it was great, <laughs> and I, I absolutely love the song and. Uh, it was it was fun doing the voiceover for someone else's dialogue. Oh, good! Instead of because you know everything else I wrote, so right. uh, it was it was kind of fun just sort of narrating your story mm-hmm. and uh, and then putting. Oh, the, you did so good. Thank you. Yeah, was, and then putting the, yeah. the audio to it and everything. So, I, I definitely want to do something with you again at some point. Oh, sure, definitely. Amidst our piles of projects that are growing immensely, as as we said. Uh, uh. So, last question for you. Um, now, you've you've put out a number of books, so you're a little more experienced at this. 
For someone who's kind of just getting started as an author or or really just wants to jump into that world, they, they have the ideas and they haven't really sat down and developed them, what advice would you give to kind of kick off somebody's opportunity in the right direction for uh, for success? Um, well, there's a couple of different things. Um, one is read everything you can get your hands on. Um, whether it's in the genre you want to write or not, actually, if it's not, that's even better. Mm-hmm. If you just need to study the language and master it, I mean, as much as you can. And and then I guess the next step would just be to write and see what comes out. I like that. I tell musicians the same thing, too. You know, if you want to be a rock guitarist, don't just listen to rock music. Otherwise, you're going to be just like every other rock guitarist out there. Oh. That's such good advice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, find find the things in other avenues. Right. You know, and I mean, as a, as a drummer, it's easier because there's rhythm in, in just about everything. But, you know, I like to listen to, uh, you know, like Chinese melodic music or African rhythms and uh, all kinds of different things because whatever I write, I, I want to be unique and have inflections of different influences. And I think as an author, it's the same thing. If you just read paranormal romance, then you're just going to follow that. Uh, formula or that that feel, and mm-hmm. you know your your story is going to be just another version of the same thing. So no, that's that's really good advice. Yeah, and actually, you said it much more eloquently than I did. That's what I meant. Is what you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I think you said it just fine. <laughs> well, Lindsay, it's been such a, a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I hope that you'll come back and visit us again. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. I just love talking to intelligent, creative people like her. She's absolutely fantastic. So go check her out at lindsaylaux.com and uh, check the show notes and I'll have the links in there as well. Uh, While I'm thinking of it, please make sure to give the podcast a star rating. And if you feel up to it, a review that really helps us get the word out and it helps us know, you know, are you happy? Should we be doing something different and do that for albums, for books, for, you know, any kind of artistic medium, because we don't get to hear from our fans a lot. There's kind of a disconnect there. So feel free to uh, let us and everyone else know how you feel so that we can reach bigger numbers and improve the, the content as well. So thank you very much. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.